Well, good morning, Oakwood. It's so good to be here. Hey, how many of you loved the temperature this morning when you woke up this morning and walked outside like, wow. I'm like, I will vote for church outside today. Man, Uh, that's been a brutal heat wave we've had. Um, Right in the midst of that, and now Michael left camp early, and I went down there on Thursday, and he kind of pranked me a little bit. And it'd been a, a few years since I've been to middle school camp, but I got to be in that dormitory with, I don't know, 25, 26 uh, middle school boys. And wow. That's all I'm going to say is wow. I can fill you in on, on details later, but um, the important thing and the great thing is life's changed, and we got to, got to see that this morning. Today we're starting a new summer series called The Lordship of Christ, and I really believe this series has the potential to change your life forever. So I hope you will make plans to be here, not just this Sunday, but each of the next four weeks as we continue to build on this Lordship of Christ theme. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it was a New York Times bestseller, he said, God wants all of you. He asks for all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. And God is not interested in half-hearted commitment, partial obedience, and the leftovers of your time and money. He desires your full devotion, not little bits of your life. But you know, sadly, I think even for a lot of Christians today, God's not getting all of us. He's getting some leftovers, some bits and pieces. There was a 2020 survey done by the Pew Research Center, and right now in America, 65% of adults in the United States identify themselves as Christians. In 1990, just 30 years before that poll, 85%. So not quite 1% per year, people have quit identifying themselves as Christians. 62% of those people claim to be members of a church congregation. But yet when you look at the lifestyle of people in the church and sometimes those outside of the church, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of difference. And you wonder why. What what gives here? I think it's because we have not settled this issue of who's the Lord of our life. Vance Hattner probably had it right when he said, the world has become a little churchy and the church has become a little worldly. And I believe it's because we haven't understood this Lordship of Christ issue. Divorce rate among Christians is still 30% lower than that of non-Christians. But cohabitation, that means living before marriage, is at the all-time high even among church people, and people who claim to be Christians. Christians today are giving 2.5% of their income to the church, less than the 3.3% they gave during the time of the Great Depression. Generation Z is leaving the church faster than any other time in history. And these statistics, I think, make it very clear to us that we have a Lordship of Christ issue. That Jesus is not being the Lord of our life. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you 
as well. You know, there's a lot of people who wear religious symbols, maybe a cross around their neck or some type of a, a Christian t-shirt or maybe a hat or something, but they have not settled the Lordship of Christ. I believe maybe the greatest challenge to the church today is not the things that are going on in our world politically, the things that are going on in our world as far as uh, environment and things like that. I think the greatest challenge that we face here in the church is this Lordship of Christ issue. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then in Luke chapter 6, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So here's my challenge to you. Don't miss any of this series. Okay, and, and we make it real easy. If you have to be out of town or whatever, guess what? You can go online and catch up. Because I believe this series, once we settle the Lordship of Christ, will change your life. So if you're ready for not just to turn over a new leaf, but to turn over a new life, then stay tuned, okay? There are five principles I think that the, Jesus teaches us about the Lordship of, of Christ. And I hope you brought your Bibles today because we're going to dive in and use quite a bit of Scripture today. If you did not bring your Bible, there are some Bibles in the pew in front of you. Or you can download uh, the app, Oakwood.Church, and search that on your, your app store. And you can follow along in the sermon notes and the Scriptures there. But we're going to be uh, bouncing around through several scriptures today. The first principle I want us to, to address today about lordship is lordship is accepting the sovereignty of God. Accepting the sovereignty of God. We're beginning in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this leper just met Jesus, but he understood something. He understood who was the sovereign ruler of this world. And he understood that he was sovereign and he had the authority. He had total control and total authority. Now, if you look up sovereign in the dictionary, it's going to say, one who possesses and exercises supreme authority over an individual or a group, an acknowledged leader, a controlling influence. You see, lordship of Christ begins right there. When we recognize that God is sovereign and that he's totally in control. But I want to tell you, friends, we are living in a world today that one, doesn't believe that, and two, doesn't want to accept that. People want to be totally in control of their entire life. They don't want to be told by a boss. They don't want to be told by anybody else what they can and can't do. They want to be totally in control. All you have to do is turn on the news, and you're going to see people that want to be in control. You pick the issue. You pick the subject. They want to be in control. The thing is, we've got to accept the sovereignty of God that he's in control. 
Our society, though, has pretty much kicked God to the curb. We don't want him in control. We kicked him out of our school, out of our government. We've kicked him out of our workplaces, our homes. And sadly, I think some churches have even kicked God out of their church because they don't want God in control. Why? Because it makes us uncomfortable. We want to be in charge. And the bottom line is we don't want to live that surrendered life under the control of somebody else. But friends, I want to tell you something. God is in control of your wealth. You think you've worked hard. Hey, I've just worked hard and really. No, God has blessed you. You have what you have because of him. You think you're in control of your health? Let me tell you, friends, that health can be gone that fast. Don't take it for granted. God's in control of not only the world that we live in right now, but guess what? He's going to be in control of the world that we live in for eternity. That means he's totally, completely sovereign. Whether you want to acknowledge it, whether you want to admit it, to recognize it, he is sovereign totally in control. And this leper knew that and he accepted it. And he came to Jesus totally surrendered and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What did Jesus do? Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Second principle I want us to see is lordship of placing God first in your life placing God first in your life turn over to Matthew chapter 22 we will pick up here in verse 35 you know the Pharisees they were constantly trying to trick Jesus to, to trap him in some type of a, a you know scandal or, or something to try to somehow or another undermine the sovereignty verse 35 one of them an expert in the law tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, there were 613 laws according to the law. 40% of those were positive, 60% of those were negative. Now, anytime you go to work for a place, they give you a policy or an employee manual. About most, probably 60% of that is negative type stuff. Why? Well, because there are rule breakers. 40% of those laws were positive, 60% were negative. It's not that much different. People break rules. And Jesus answers them. He said, you put God first and love your neighbor. And guess what? If you get those two down, all the other 611 are just going to fall into place. But it, the Lordship of Christ, putting the Lord first. The first of the 10 commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. That means he's going to be first. That's what lordship is all about. It means God is first, not second, third, or fourth. He's first. 
or he's not your Lord. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 13, it says, O Lord our God, others have ruled us. See what he said? Others have ruled us. Now, Israel didn't completely kick God completely out, but they allowed other gods to kind of be annexed in or to be accepted. Okay, yeah, God will serve you along with all these other gods. We're going to accept them as well. God says, I'm not going to be shared in your life. I'm either going to be your Lord or I'm not your Lord at all. Now, most wives probably would have a problem with this if their husband says, you know, I'm going to love you, but I'm also going to, I'm going to love some other women too. But I'm going to, I'm going to have you in that group, okay? You're, you're still in the top five. Probably not going to work out very well, is it? It's not going to work out very well for you either spiritually if you just have God somewhere in the top five and he's not number one. He said, I'm not going to be number two. These other gods take various forms. Some may take the form of a business or sports or a hobby or money or a relationship, anything that takes the place that is due Christ. And the danger of these other gods, though, they may be legitimate things, but they crowd out God. And they take away our affection. They take away our attention. And eventually, they oust the real Lord. And Jesus is no longer the Lord of our life. William Booth, uh, you may recognize that name. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. This is what he said about himself. He said, God had all of me that there is. There have been others who've had greater opportunities, greater plans, greater potential than I have had. But from the day I had a vision of what God could do in my life, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth and that was where the lordship was settled in his issue. Lordship is making sure God is number one, okay? Now, the harder thing might be keeping God number one. Because a lot of people at some point in time have made God number one in their life, but they haven't kept him there. They've allowed, just like the Israelites, other gods to come in and crowd out God's rightful place. Immigrants, when they come to the United States with the intent of becoming a, a citizen, now, I'm not talking about kind of what happens on the border right now because, you know, that's a whole other issue. But people, when they come here and legally want to become a United States citizen, they have to pledge their allegiance to this country and means that they're denouncing their former country, their former allegiance. What they're saying is, I'm all in. This is my country. I'm stacking hands with you guys. I want to live under the sovereign reign of the United States. And I'm leaving where I came from. That's what Lordship of Christ is. It's about putting God first in every area of our life. And it's totally renouncing 
anyone else's or any other thing's call in our life. So lordship is about putting God first in our life, but it's also about keeping God first in our life. Third principle I want us to see this morning is lordship is accepting responsibility and accountability. In Matthew chapter 25 is a parable of the talents. And this master gave one servant five talents, the other one he gave two, and one he gave one. And these, these talents happen to be bags of gold, okay? Now, I want to make a few observations as we read, beginning in, in verse 14 here of Matthew chapter uh, 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one, each according to his ability, and then he went on his journey. Everybody got something. Nobody was left out. Now, I might have been satisfied with a one bag of gold. Five would be better, but hey, if somebody wants to give me a bag of gold, guess what? I'm going to take it. Everybody got something. And we see here it was done according to their ability. Let's continue reading. Verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Well, look what happened to this guy. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvested where I had not sown and gathered whether I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I have, would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will, be give, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. What happened to that lazy servant? Verse 30 says, And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
You see, there's going to be a day of accountability that God is going to hold you accountable for what you have given, been given. And when God gives us something, he doesn't expect it back in the same condition that he gave it to you. He wants you to use it. He wants you to do something with it. So what happened to these guys? To those fellows in this parable viewed that gift as a blessing. But the one who happened to be the lazy servant viewed it as a burden. So why does God give different blessings to different people? He gives us in proportion to what he knows we're going to do with it. Now, you may think, I'm just a one-talent person, but are you going to use it? There are two lessons we see there. We increase our gifts and abilities when we utilize them to reproduce for the kingdom. And then we're going to have withdrawn from us those gifts and abilities if we don't use them. Fourth principle is lordship is doing the will of God. It's not just saying, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. It's doing the will of God. Matthew chapter 7. We find out that, you know, profession's not enough. There literally has to be life changed. That means that he's not just Lord on Sunday morning, but he's Lord every day, every hour of our life. Start reading with verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it's had, had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Profession isn't enough. Lordship means there has to be life changed. That means that we're totally surrendered. We're not divided. You know, we see these license plates sometimes, you know, it says like house divided and you've got an OSU and an OU emblem or maybe an LSU in Alabama. Now that be, might be okay for a football game, but it's not okay when it comes to the Lordship of Christ. He's not going to reign over a divided kingdom. Now, there may be a point in time when you really crowned him as king of your life, but what I want to ask you, is he still the king of your life today? Are you doing his will? I think many people know what they need to do to submit to the lordship of Christ, and at some point in time they've done it, but then they've got to ask themselves, is he still the Lord of my life today? Is he still Lord today? 
Most people don't need more information. We need more obedience and application of what we already know. Fifth principle this morning is lordship is personal. Personal obedience regardless of the cost. Flip over to John chapter 21. It's a fascinating story. This is a story of Jesus visiting Peter after the resurrection. It begins in verse 15. And there's something very fascinating in this passage that I'm going to point out in just, just a second. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, something that I just discovered and didn't read it in a book, didn't, I think the Lord just revealed this to me. Do you remember back at the night of Jesus' arrest, and Peter denied Jesus. How many times did he deny him? One, two, three times. Now, when he reinstates Peter, he asks him, do you love me? Once, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my flock. He asked him that question for every time that he had denied him. That's just a bonus point I just discovered. All right, let's, let's continue reading. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Isn't that just like... You know, when the heat gets a little bit uh, tough, what about, th what about this person? You know, parents, we deal with this all the time. You know, you're, you're making a correction. You're making some type of instruction to one child, and, and what are they going to do? Yeah, but what about, what about them? My brother, my sister, what about them? What do we normally say? We're not talking about them right now. We're talking about you. That's kind of what Jesus did politely. He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So we're not talking about John. We're talking about you. Because this rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. Only 
that if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You see, what Peter was saying, you know, I guess I don't mind suffering as long as everybody else is going to suffer. If I have to die a horrible death, I want other people to have to, to share in that with me. You see, when Jesus is Lord of our life, it means personal obedience regardless of the cost. So the Lordship principle number one that I want us to get this morning is Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not your Lord. Plain and simple. If he's not number one in your life, he's not your Lord. If we don't trust him in all things, we don't trust him in anything. He's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord at all. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to do a funeral. Um, and the family said, hey, we've got a minister in the family that we want to have a little part in it. I'm like, sure, no problem. That's not an unusual request. And all I knew was the man's name was Calvin Miller. Had never met him. You know, name didn't mean anything to me. So he came in. That day in my office, a very well-dressed, distinguished gentleman, black suit, black vest, had a nicely tied tie, a, a, you know, a full head of white hair and, and, and a white beard, just well-trimmed and well-groomed. And, and I said, I'm, I'm Alan Seibel, and he introduced himself. I'm, I'm Calvin Miller. And I said, well, nice to meet you, Calvin. And uh, I said, let's kind of go over the order of the service. Here's kind of the order of service. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's where I've got you know, slotted out for you to do your part. And he said, okay, I've got a few things I want to say, and then I want to read a, read a little something out of this book here. And he had it paper clipped here, and, and he set it down, and I noticed it said Calvin Miller on it. Calvin Miller, Calvin. Did you write this book? Yeah, 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 I wrote that book. Then it began to dawn on me. I had a textbook in college a preaching textbook, I think it was like contemporary preaching, written by a name of Calvin Miller. I said, did you write this preaching book? Yeah. The same man who wrote this book that he gave to me, Calvin Miller, has authored over 40 books. Now, all of a sudden, the name Calvin Miller meant something to me. It wasn't just, honestly, I, I probably didn't care much about that guy's name, didn't know anything about Now all of a sudden, guess what? It mattered. Why? Because I'd met the author. And now it was personal. Friends, when we meet Jesus, suddenly it's personal. When we meet the author, it's not just a name anymore. It's now all about Jesus. He's the Lord of our life. It means something to us. And if you don't meet the, the author, you're not going to recognize the name, and it's not going to mean anything to you. But when you meet Jesus, just like that leper, his life was forever changed, and your life will be forever changed. So you need to make sure Jesus is Lord of your life and not just some stranger. And your life is going to be changed forever, I promise you. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. 
And those of you who are watching at home, I hope you have your preparations ready. And if you came in this morning and didn't get one of our, our little communion packets, just hold up your hand and we'll get that to you right now. But we're going to take a few moments. But I want to share with you what was told to me as a, as a true story about a young boy who lived in London and he was given up for adoption at a, at a very early age. And as a teenager, he became very rebellious and destructive and he ran away from home and he got involved in a life of crime and he just kind of lived on the streets. And, but he developed his skill as a skilled forger so he could forge documents and things. In fact, he forged a document which allowed him to board a ship bound for America and to travel first class. Well, he arrived in New York and he found work and he became a manager of a, a department store. And one day a private detective showed up asking for him by name. He just assumed that he was in trouble for his crime back in England, the forgery, and it finally caught up to him and so he left. He fled. Well, he popped from odd job to odd job, and this detective, every time that he would settle in, would somehow or another appear. This detective was relentless. Finally, he landed in Miami where he became a manager in a hotel, and after months, sure enough, this detective showed up again, and there they met him face to face, and he said, I'm looking for Mr. Theron Daniels. Does he work here? Daniel said, just a minute, and he walked through the doorway to the back of the lobby, and then this detective saw him running through the alley through one of the windows. So he took off after him and chased him for several blocks, and finally Theron Daniels collapsed on a sidewalk, and he died of a massive heart attack. When the story broke, people were shocked. He'd been trying to get a hold of Mr. Theron Daniels for almost a year. And what he was wanting to tell him that his adoptive parents had died and now he was the heir of their entire estate. And at that time he could have spent $10,000 a day and probably would have never ran out of money. And the detective was simply trying to find Mr. Daniels to give him an unbelievable gift. And Mr. Daniels didn't, didn't even recognize it. And he killed himself in the process. Such a tragedy. But do you know what even is more tragic when it's when millions of people in the world today are running from the one that has a far greater inheritance to offer than a monetary estate here in, in this world. People are still running from the person who can change their life forever. So I want to ask you this morning, are you running? Are you running away from God? If you are, it's time to settle this Lordship of Christ issue today. And it's not good enough just to have said, you know, Jesus was Lord of my life at some point. During this communion time, I want you to reaffirm that Jesus is the Lord of your life even today.